Welcome to the International Space Training Center. You're here today to train for the greatest adventure in the history of mankind, the exploration of deep space. Hey, Maestro, what's with that music? Hello, hi there, welcome to my park. How you doing? Okay, the director's ready. Talent's ready. Cue the opening. W Radio. Your information station. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 323 for the week of May 5th, 2013. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my videos, blog, live broadcast, special events, my Walt Disney World trivia books, audio tours, and more. You can find it all over at www.radio.com. This week's podcast is brought to you by audible.com where you can get a free audiobook download by visiting audibletrial.com slash Radio. If you don't have time to read, there's more than 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, any MP3 player, including a ton of Disney books like Ridley Pearson's Kingdom Keeper series and lots more. Again, you can sign up for free at audibletrial.com slash Radio. So for a recent WDW Radio On The Road event, we made the pilgrimage to the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. We spent a weekend with friends to share the experience of visiting the museum, which celebrates the life and legacy of Walt Disney, the dreamer and the doer, but more importantly, the man and the father. And this week, we're going to recap our visit and review the museum, virtually exploring each of the galleries and I'll also share hundreds of photos in this week's show notes over at www.radio.com. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned as I'll have some announcements and play some of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Come to this happy place. Welcome. Disneyland is your land. Here age relives fond memories of the past. And here youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future. Disneyland is dedicated to the ideals, the dreams, and the hard facts that have created America. With the hope that it will be a source of joy and inspiration to all the world. Thank you. In the summer of 2009, I had the opportunity to fly out to San Francisco on business. And as it was my first time there, I wanted to be sure that I took in all the sights and, of course, the food. So I visited the wharf, the bamboo room, Lombard Street, Golden Gate Park, and I really came to enjoy the city. But much of my excitement came from the chance to drive out to the Presidio, located sort of in the shadows of the Golden Gate Bridge. And why? Well, to sort of make a pilgrimage for what I was going to see was going to open up just a few months later, but it was something very exciting for me. And even though I could only see the building's exterior, I felt I, I had to go to see where this place was going to be. 
And now, more than three years later, I was finally able to make the journey I had waited so long to take, but this time, I wanted to share it with my friends. So, as part of our ongoing series of WDW Radio On The Road events, where we literally take the show on the road to locations not just in Walt Disney World, but Disneyland, around the country, and at sea, one of the very first on-the-road trips I wanted to take was to the Walt Disney Family Museum. And so this week, I want to recap our journey to the museum with a few of those people who I was able to share the experience with. Once again, I need to welcome back Becky Mankin from MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. Hey, Lou, how are you doing tonight? Did you not get your cue? Did you, did you need... <laughs> <laughs> what? Were you waiting for a more formal introduction than that? I'm the lovely and talented Becky Mankin. See, that, that's better. See, Sorry. I, I know that you're working on it, but someday you're actually going to nail it. That one was a little little closer. Let me try this. The sweet and sassy Tony Caggiano. Wow. Hey. <laughs> hey, I like that. That works for me. I think that one, that one should have been for me, honestly, but oh, move on. All the way from Utah, Jeremy Marks. Hey, everybody. Utah, as we can see, is on a six-second delay. <laughs> and I'm praying you for you to at least give me something. Michael Berrigan. Hello, everyone. Guys, uh, ladies, I should say, and Jeremy, I want to I want to um, I want to thank you guys for joining me tonight. We had a great group of people at the museum, present company excluded. But I wanted to um, I really wanted to try and recap for people who have never been there what not just our on the road experience was like, but really sort of talk about the museum itself. Because I think a lot of people either A, don't know the museum exists, B, don't understand what it is or even where it is. They think it's it's right next door to Disneyland. Or maybe sort of don't understand what the purpose of the museum is and what it really is all about. So I want to ask you guys uh, and sort of start off by asking about your thoughts or your expectations of the museum before you went, right? So, Becky, like, what did you know? Was it something that was on your radar? Like, what were your sort of thoughts or expectations of the museum before having gone out for the first well, time? Luck luckily, I had been there before, and I had an opportunity to visit it when I was on one of the Disney cruises that stopped in San Francisco. And I, I was just amazed at all of the history and all of the interactive pieces I when I first saw it. Of course, it was more exciting to be there with all of you so that I could see people experience it for the first time. Watching you guys go through it was almost as amazing as seeing it the, for the first time myself. Oy. Uh, Tony, what? maybe you could actually ans answer the question that I asked, which was before you went to the museum for the first time, <laughs> what were your expectations or what did you sort of think about the I'm museum? I'm hanging what up now. <laughs> I'm really just going to hang up at this point. Is that a promise or a threat? So, Tony, before you went, what did you sort of, you know, what did you know about it? Did you do any research on it or what did you heard about the museum beforehand? I heard a lot of friends talking about it on the internet and even in person where we would sit and chat. To be honest with you, I didn't do much research um, purposefully. I really just wanted to go there and kind of step into it and make a judgment then, not really have any expectation of it. And um, that was it. I really went in there. I knew sort of what what the museum held, but it was it was very different than what I expected, to be honest with you. Michael, what about for you? Like Becky, I'd been a few times before, but the, the best thing I take away from the museum is every time it's a very personal experience. Every room, everything, every time I go, it's something new. There's so, there's so much, there's so much content there and so much diversity between all the rooms and everything. It's just every time it's something new, it's just an amazing experience. And Jeremy, it's sort of the resonant 
uber Disney history geek, and I say that affectionately, what about you? Did you sort of have this something on your, on your radar, something you always wanted to do, or what, what kind of research did you do, do about the museum beforehand? The first time I ever went out to the museum, I didn't do much research, but I knew I had heard that it focused a great deal on life prior to the creation of the company itself. So I was very excited to see what it could bring about and show the story about him and what his legacy throughout time. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's very interesting about the museum and one of the comments that I hear spoken about a lot is its location, right? The, the choice of the location by putting it up in San Francisco. And, and I will admittedly uh, acknowledge that before I went for the first time, I was one of those many people. It's like, oh, San Francisco? It's probably like a half hour drive from, from Disneyland. So when I go out for D23 or whatever, I can go see it. Not quite the case, right? It, it's a six hour car ride. But And so the choice to put it there is one that was questioned by a, a lot of the people. And I think for uh, putting the museum there, it's where Diane Disney lives, and it's, and I think once you go there, uh, once you go to the museum, it becomes sort of less curious as to why they chose it there, right? Because it's a very different type of experience, intentionally, than Disneyland, right? And so having that distance between the two almost sort of made sense, right? And then when you almost sort of look into some of the other people that make that area home, right? People like George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola and John Lasseter at Pixar, you've got these other type of similarly spirited people, risk-taking people, people that that broke the barrier of technology. It, it almost sort of makes sense that these four people are up there. Uh, for those who, who don't know, it's located in the Presidio. These are uh, U.S. Army barracks that were erected between 1895 and 1909, so obviously very, very old. They handed off the Presidio to the National Park Service in 1994, and this project was begun, obviously, by Diane Disney Miller, who sort of discovered that, you know, that we talked about this, and people don't understand that a lot of people don't didn't realize and still don't realize that Walt Disney uh, was more than a corporate logo, right? So she founded the Walt Disney Family Foundation, a nonprofit organization, very independent from the Disney company, wanted to create a museum entirely devoted to her father. They had a construction budget of more than $52 million for the project, and it opened on October 1st, appropriately enough, 2009. So we sort of understand why it was created, and that, and that message is very clear. Uh, let's sort of talk about that, too, sort of making this museum something very distinct and separate and apart from Disneyland, because when you pull up there and you first walk into that museum, you very much get the sense that you are not stepping foot into Disneyland, right? I mean, Becky you, uh, Becky and Michael, you guys have seen that before, so you guys sort of knew going in on this trip, it's, it's not the typical Disney experience. Very true. It's it's amazing that I'm happy for that because it's about Walt Disney. It's about his family. It's about his roots and how he started this whole wonderful thing that included Disneyland later on. So when you first walk in, you get a sense of his accomplishments as a person instead of, you know, walking into the theme park part, which you get into later. But it, it starts off with the beginning and you know, where he came from and his family roots and what his parents were all about. So I think that it celebrates everything from his beginnings on through, which I, I found um, very refreshing and very insightful and educational to find out how this man put all of this together that we now know of the legend, you know? Yeah, like my feelings on it is it's basically like if it was close to the parks, basically – 
wow, it's hard to explain. If you were close <laughs> to the parks, it's, it's kind of like you go through the whole journey of his life and, you know, every little detail of his life from when he was born, you know, to Disneyland, to beyond that. And if it was near the parks and such, like if, you, if it was in the parks, like if you'd go outside of the park, like leave the museum and go into the park and such, I, I think you'd kind of lose that because when you leave and especially like towards the end of the museum, there's a lot of reflection in the end of the museum. And I think it lets, lets you absorb it more instead of just like, you know, walking out here's like kind of like the D23 uh, uh, in MGM in Hollywood Studios, the D23 uh, exhibit there about uh, Walt Disney. Right, right. So I was going to say, does it become does it become one man's dream, you know, plus if you put it right next to Disneyland? You know, if you put it in Disneyland, does it become simply not exactly. a museum but an attraction? This right. way, it's like a lot more. It, you can reflect and absorb more if, instead of like walking out and going on the next ride and you forget about it. Like you walk out of the Presidio into San Francisco into this amazing vista and you can like reflect on it and like more of it absorbs into you instead of if you walk out and get on Toy Story Mania. Right. So right. it's a lot more personal experience. And I know when I first went on my pilgrimage just to look at the building, my first thought when you see it from the outside, this, this sort of very nondescript, relatively small looking red brick building you're saying, wow, that this probably isn't going to be very big, right? You don't realize there's 19,000 square feet of galleries in there. So, Tony, when you go in, right, you see it from the outside. You and I had never been there before. I didn't look at any pictures. I didn't talk to anybody about it beforehand, really. What is it like when you first walk in there and you start to realize, and you don't even see it when you first walk in, right, because you have to sort of go to another level before you really get to experience the museum. What's that first like when you first get inside? I think the way they laid it out, it was uh – it was really interesting. It kind of like you it took you into the fold. You go in there and the entrance, the lobby is there's not much to it. It has um a lot of awards and it has a desk, an information desk and kind of where you buy your tickets and such. And as you go through, it seems like the rooms where they're telling the story of Walt before or even before Walt, the rooms are smaller. It's the way they present it. It's a little more rustic, homey, darker woods. Um, very comfortable, but small. And just like you did, I'm walking through and I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice. It's cute. And the rooms get bigger as you proceed on. But it's really, um, it's incredible once you're inside how it develops into the main hall where you're in that huge, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's just, it's beautifully laid out. I like the way it pulls you in um, and start off with Walt's small beginnings and it's really builds up through that as as the, as you go through the museum it develops much like his story and becomes grander and more spectacular as you go through and absolutely Lou and I we both talked about as we were in the building looking at the building um it doesn't look like much it looks small until you realize we had to go around the back and to like a service entrance to meet with someone and it's a it's a large building it really is deceiving from the front it is a it's a big building and, you know, too, from an engineering and a, and a design standpoint, you know, there were a lot of construction limitations in the building, right? So they couldn't move any windows. They couldn't move any doors. So it, you find it's a very densely packed museum experience. And when you first walk into that lobby, you don't get that sense. But as you start to go through all the different galleries, it is sort of, and, and I sort of mean this in a good way, it's sort of boxed together, right? And, and it sort of does tell that chronological story. When When I started off and I saw that lobby with with a couple hundred awards right there's you know the is he had i remember seeing his uh, honorary degree from harvard the special oscar for snow white even small 
little things that he had gotten, right? From, from you know, commemorating little things he had done uh, from the 20s all the way, uh, you know, up until the years right before he passed away. I wondered if this was just going to be sort of a series of rooms of displays, but they very, sort of very quickly put to rest the idea that they just sort of went into Walt's attic and just took everything out and threw them on display. It very much was not like that at all. Jeremy, what about for you as you sort of went from that lobby into that first gallery? I didn't know what to expect the first time I went in there and went to the first gallery. And it surprised me they went back to his parents and grandparents and their story about coming here to the U.S. And then the story of Walt, Walt as he grew up. I mean, and then walking in and seeing a giant full-size ambulance from World War One. And it's like, okay, this is more than just here's some parts of his life. It's here's the entire aspect of his life, and we're going to bring you all the way through it. Yeah, I think sort of, you know, going to those very, very early years were not just about the birth of Walt. They really sort of give you a sense of his family and some of the things that he'd done, right? So they talk about going to Kansas City and founding laughograms. And like you said, there's that replica of the ambulance that he drove in World War One. So it gives you a sense of Walt the patriot, right? The man who loved America so much he wanted to serve any way that he could. But I think what's really neat is that transition going from that first gallery into the second gallery, right? When you start to go from there into Hollywood, right? He moves to Hollywood in 1923. He finds the Disney Brothers studio and it starts to go to that next phase of his quest, right? Where we start getting into the things that he is really known for, like Mickey and, and moving into Hollywood. Becky, tell, sort of tell us, again, now that you've seen it multiple times before, I'm sure you pick up different things too as you move from gallery to gallery. And, and you do. And that's one thing I wanted to say either now or later on, that if you've gone once, you've got to go again because you do pick up different things as you go through and you move through. Um, and it also depends on how long you have in this uh, in this museum because some people say you can go in for an hour or two, but no, it, it takes a lot of time to read through. Um, that second gallery represents at the 20s, like you said. And I think I was really taken back by... Um, the drawings, the earliest drawings that he had and how it all started and like the first drawing of Mickey Mouse and some of the things that came that what really touched me all through and so it started in the second gallery was the personal and the handwritten letters and the correspondence that is between Walt and Roy as they were starting to build the studios. It's so cool to actually read in their own words what they had to say to each other through the whole piece. So it takes a good amount of time if you want to sit there and read it all and absorb it all. And this is just the second gallery. Yeah. So for you other guys, was there anything else in that second gallery? Because I know for me, there was one thing I, I found myself focusing uh, a number, uh, a great deal of time on. Was there something that you saw in that second gallery that struck you or you spent more time on or you sort of took away from? I think, I think the thing that gets me about the second room, too, is when you walk in there, it's a very different theme, like color wise and lighting wise too. basically you walk out of it's very like earth tones and darker in the first one. It's the war, his early life. And you walk in the second one, it's Hollywood. It's very bright. You have the Hollywood sign on the wall and it, it's just different thematically. So it basically changes your whole mood and everything to it. Like just draws you into a different type of feeling and mindset. And well, like Tony mentioned, it's just so much content there to you just get like lost in it. So for me, one of the things I, I took away from that room is something that I think a lot of people don't realize about Walt, right? They, they hear Walt Disney, they think Mickey Mouse, Disneyland, TV films. He's always been a success, right? I think they set the stage by letting you know that Walt Disney from day one suffered 
a great deal of challenges, right? His first company goes bankrupt. His second was was nearly destroyed when Oswald was stolen away. So he starts from very, very meager beginnings. He suffers a lot of challenges. And then you're right, Michael, you go into that next room, you get that sense of his drive and determination is one that not just let him sort of push the possibilities in terms of what he was doing in animation, but sort of overcoming a lot of those obstacles. And it does sort of, it, the room goes from being intentionally, I think, very dark to being very bright as you move into that second gallery. And then it, it completely changes again as you sort of move from the second to the third. That's one thing they capture throughout the whole museum itself. I think the lighting sets the mood for each room and the tone for what they really want to convey in each room too. They, they do that very well throughout the whole museum. And, and you have to mention, too, in that second gallery, one of the things I spent a lot of time looking at, and I think a lot of people probably drool over, is the collection of the very, very early Mickey Mouse memorabilia, right? Absolutely. So it's, it's not just about the really cool stuff and the watches and the plush, but you realize Disney is innovating, right? He's, he's, he learns very quickly how not to just create these characters, but transform the film business by merchandising them as well, too. I think that one of the things I enjoyed the most in the second room aside from obviously the early drawings of Mickey Mouse and all that other really fun stuff was there was a it seems like there's a huge a large section of that second room that's dedicated to Walt's failure and I don't want it to sound morbid or dark when you say that but as somebody who's really a fan of researching and learning about Walt I one of his quotes which you all know a uh, thousand Walt quotes. One that really stuck with me was always the one where he says, I think it's important to have a good hard failure when you're young. And they really go into that there where you can listen to um, interviews and recordings of actual people who were there as Walt was. He had business dealings with people who took advantage of him and stole some ideas and um, bad deals that he had made. And they really go into that. And I think that I really enjoyed it in the fact that and the way that it shows you how he became a stronger person, how he um, put himself at the helm of making this thing work and really taking over and um, making Walt Disney his company, Disney Productions, responsible and have all the doing things themselves and really starting over and reinventing what they did. Because I think that if he had just continued along the path without that failure, it's, he certainly this whole thing certainly wouldn't have been what we know it is today. Yeah, and I think the way it sort of transitions from here is actually appropriate because from that second gallery, you move into this very beautiful, elegant elevator and you hear Walt uh, sort of narrating along. And as you go to the next floor, this really is about him finally overcoming those obstacles, right? The studio is really starting to take off after things like Steamboat Willie and Mickey Mouse and then moving on to Snow White. And after sort of overcoming what everyone called Disney's folly, it really is about not just his, his success, but moving on beyond, beyond that, sort of creating new technology, creating uh, changes in, in animation, and then sort of moving past some of those difficult times. So rather than sort of go gallery by gallery, because a lot of these really do sort of flow into one another, let's talk about the, the galleries themselves and sort of how it's laid out, because it's very much, I think, uh, similar but, but different to museums in that it's not just artifacts on exhibit they are laid out in a chronology uh also in in 
there's a lot of interactive elements as well too, right? It's a, it's a very multimedia, multi-sensory type experience where it's not just in what you see and what you hear, but that you very much get to play an active role and to uh, utilize some of the the tools and techniques that Walt did as well too. What about for you guys, some of the things you took away or remember from those other galleries upstairs? What about for you, Becky, especially now that you've gone more than once, I think you probably pick up things that you maybe didn't see. And plus the galleries change all the time too from your first couple of visits. Right. It is a whole, it's amazing to, uh, to really take some time with the interactive pieces like you were talking about. There's um, several that have listening stations that you can just stop and pick up a, a headset and you listen and you have um, buttons in front of you. You can hear different people along his life speak to what he went through um, and their interpretation of as the stu- studio was built or as the, the pieces were, were falling into place. You can really take a lot of time with just the interactive stations. And, and to, to Tony's point, I remember at one point I went back to go find him and uh, he was in one place. And then I went back where we were all hanging out in another gallery. And I thought, wow, Tony's really taken some time. So I went back and it was about 30 minutes later and he had literally moved 15 feet. <laughs> so yeah. If that tells you anything about how how much you can become absorbed in just one gallery alone, just from the the pieces and the interactive stuff. And as you said, some of the pieces changed. Like there were uh, some of the interactive uh, stations that I had not seen before or the paint station that's in another one coming up or the amount of time that I spent in the model room alone this time, which I didn't have the opportunity to do before. So there's a lot of things that can just suck you in and you're going to be standing there for hours if you're not careful. Well, I remember yeah. in the um, in the one room with, with Steamboat Willie and Mickey Mouse, right? So in the, in the Steamboat Willie room, there's like 350 enlargements of drawings from that cartoon on the wall. And they put it into context, mm-hmm. right? Those 350 drawings, it's less than a minute of action. But the important thing is, you know, again, the, the significance of Steamboat Willie is the first time music... And what you see is coordinated by Walt, right? It helps to it create this, this technology. And they have this station that allows you to try and match up the cymbals and the drums and the sounds and the toots and the whistles along with that. And you realize, even with these very rudimentary in- instruments, how difficult it really is to have done that and what a sort of a leap that was going back, you know, to, to the early 20s. I, I think one of the galleries that I always get sucked into the most when I go there, I always end up spending the most time there, when you come around the corner from the multiplane camera display and you have the whole time period when the, 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 com- the communist threat and the strike was going on and World War II and all the stuff he did during World War II, for some reason that always just draws me in. The victory through air power, the winged scourge stuff he did for the U.S. Army, that, that's always the place. So much documentation stuff I hadn't seen in the past. That, that's the one gallery that always really gets me. What about One thing you, you didn't mention, though, when you're, when, Lou, when you're talking about the galleries changing out and things like that, they did mention, though, that there's what we have in the galleries to look at is a very, very small collection. So we're lucky enough for them to be able to rotate these things in and out on a, on a continual basis to keep us going back to see more of this information. Right. I think that she said what is on display is, is 10% of what they have curated, yeah. right? So they are able to swap out a lot, and you can only imagine – what doesn't make the cut, right? What what doesn't actually make it out there? And Michael, to your point, like that's one of the things that I, I liked. They this is not a rose-colored glasses, 
you know, image of, of, of Walt Disney and, and his and his life, right? Everything was not uh, rosy along the way. And actually, if you look around the exterior, the way the galleries are laid out, on the exterior walls, you find, <clears throat> excuse me, images and quotes that are very personal, right? They come directly from the Disney family about the family life that was going on along the way. This is not just his business. This is very personal, right? It, it very much comes from the family. So you're following along in his personal journey and the trials and tribulations that they have. And I was very, very happy that in, I think it's gallery six or so, right? The, the late thirties, mid forties, they talk about what is a very, very tough time in Walt's life, right? His parents pass away. The studio strike is going on. The military is using part of the studio as a base. So they they go on to address that controversy during the animated strike of 1941, right? It was very shocking, Disney. It, it very much changed Walt Disney and sort of the direction of the company, right? And, you know, there was the, the, uh, the House Un-American Activities Committee. So a lot of the stuff that was very difficult was going on is still dressed like they they don't sort of ignore the 800 pound gorilla in the room right and i remember that there was actually somebody one of the visitors that was standing there they spent a lot of time soaking in that uh, the whole time during the strike period which was a very dark time and they kind of walked away and i heard her say to whoever she was with i'm really amazed that they put this in here because it was such a dark piece of history so it kind of goes back to the point again that it's including every aspect of of his life and what it took to build what we know today yeah, that, that's one of the nice uh, aspects of it not being, you know, completely run by the company itself, too, because they're not going to gloss over the parts of history that, you know, aren't terribly pleasant. Right. Right. And, I, and I'm sure that it's these types of things that also had a huge impact on the family as well, not just Walt, but the family as, as they were growing up and, and seeing all of this happen to their father and, and their husband. It must have been pretty traumatic. Well, that, that's the key with the whole thing, too. It's like, this was Walt Disney. This wasn't some, you know, faceless corporation. It was right. basically Walt Disney's life. Yeah, but the thing that's good, too, is that the items that are in the museum are not just curated from the Disney family themselves, too, right? You obviously, in order to tell the story of Walt Disney, you need materials and copyrighted images that, that are on loan either from the Disney company or other people, right? Whether they're animators, you know, uh, where uh, some of the nine old men had contributed to a scrapbook, right? I remember sort of the, uh, the the hippos from Fantasia. Well, how about the, um, in that, the, the one gallery where they have the um, the multi-plane camera, they also have that that giant notebook. It's the Herman um, Schultes notebook, right? He sort of was the technician in the camera effects department. He sort of showed how images were produced for Pinocchio and Fantasia. And this is a good point to talk about the use of technology, right? This is not just a static museum. There's this animated display of the book that is actually sort of a, a touch screen, a touch table. So you can sort of turn the pages and really sort of interact with this book that's on display that you can't turn the pages of, but there's a digital version of it as well, too. And there's a lot of those high-tech displays there as well, you know, through the, through the galleries as well, too. Isn't that the same room that also has, it might be a different room, but the one that has the monitors at the top that are displaying different um, different movies and different things that they were doing post-war, like in the 40s and 50s? Right, they've no, got 20,000 leagues. Right, this is this is the room right before that. That's the one with okay. it's got uh, Treasure Island and, and Peter Pan. and um, Right, Sin because right. that room also has another piece of technology that you can sit there and, and play with for hours. It's a touch screen. 
that I got hung up on the first time I was there for about an hour and a half. No, Becky, that, that, that was actually my iPhone you were playing with. That's Wow. Seriously. Something- <laughs> <laughs> I should have hung up an hour ago. I'm just saying. Move on. But yeah, you're right. It, it's um, it's interesting that they use, and it's it's not sort of in-your-face technology. It's It very much is blended in seamlessly and is very well... Uh, the theme of the time period that they're talking about is not overrun by the use of technology, if that makes any sense, right? So you can go to an area where you have these interactive touchscreens, and then in the next gallery, you'll be able to find, you know, cans of chili. And again, it comes back to food, even with Walt, the the miniatures that Walt collected over the years. But the list of foods that he, the only foods that he would have I his chef cook for him. That. I, I was love that. That, that, that list was... So- was- yeah, that was one of the highlights of that, the whole museum. I mean, it says a little, the little blurb about how um, Lillian was having these, fan, having the chef cook fancy dinners and everything. And then there's this note which says, it's like, I like chicken breast with gravy. I like a pork chop with gravy. I like a piece of meatloaf with gravy. I mean, it was really, it was meat. And, and then on the bottom, on the bottom in, uh, in big bold with the star next to it is no more than one vegetable with any meal. <laughs> and I'm just laughing, you know, thinking about me and my own wife. And that was really what it was about. It was about, you know, this guy telling, telling the cook in his house, you know, listen, my wife's driving me up the walls. This is what I want to eat. I want Don't, chili. Just make it. me chili and cut it out. Stop making me pheasant. I want chili with saltines. Right. <laughs> yeah. I want chili with saltines. I want jello. I want it either jello red or blue dessert. jello. Right. Yeah. But that's it. Like that's I want lemon or cherry jello. It's that's Walt it, you know? the man, right? That's it's the no nonsense, not the animator, not the head of the film studio. It's Walt at home in his own words, like, hey, I want chili, and I don't care what Lillian says. And right, so it's 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 the dynamic of the marital relationship and the dynamic of, of who Walt was every day. And I think that's why I, I was so drawn to that piece. And because he was taught, I wanted to know what Walt ate. And it's great because Lillian had a little, there's a little write-up there from Lillian saying how. This was found in a notebook of one of the housekeepers years later. I mean, it was after Walt's death that note came up, you know, and this woman kept it because this is what he told me and I couldn't forget it. You know, it was just it was just a really fun piece. It was funny as hell. Yeah. And and speaking of those types of things, uh, one of the people I remember in the Q&A had said that her favorite piece was the hairbrush. Right. Yeah. That they had found, and that for her, it was because he actually touched it every day. It was something that not not something he drew, not something that he was awarded, but just a simple piece that we all touch every day. You pick up your hairbrush and you use it. That is really incredible to to look at it that way. And and those pieces that were just those everyday things that everyone uses. Right. It's very, very personal to Walt. And we've heard the story, I think they told it at Destination D in the D23 Expo, that as they were going through Walt's effects, uh, you know, they open up this box and they said it smelled like grandpa. Right. And that sort of makes it makes him a very, very real person when you hear uh, a grandchild sort of talk about these items like that. So the next room was sort of Walt and the natural room. And this was very, very different, right? I sort of talked about these rooms in terms of boxes. And that's how I felt as I was in there. And not in a bad way. It was very intimate, but obviously it's the layout of the of these rooms. Remember, these were army barracks, right? These were army barracks that you can only do a very limited amount of construction to. Well, you get into this next section where they're talking about the true life adventurers and the, the people in places documentaries. And there are these dynamic, beautiful floor-to-ceiling windows giving a view of the Presidio and the Golden Gate Bridge. 
right? And it sort of makes you stop. And I think one of you guys actually, as we went in there, it's interesting the way this room is in. It's sort of a narrow corridor where you look out over the Golden Gate Bridge and to the right are a series of monitors that are facing the other way. So you sort of have to get to the end of the room and turn around to look back at the monitors. And, and maybe it was one of you guys who asked why that was done, but it was done deliberately because they didn't want to take away from the, the view that you had out of the Presidio. So, and they, wanted you to, they did want you to sort of turn around and look back to sort of pay attention to what he was doing with the True Life Adventure series. That was me that asked that question, and I was so glad to get an answer. <laughs> did you buy it? Did you actually buy that answer, or did they just make I it? Do, I do. I it do. Makes, it makes sense now. It does make sense. And now I can say, okay, great. Get down to the bottom, have a seat Have a seat on the park bench, and turn around, and you can see True Life Adventures. Right. Yeah, and Berrigan, you know, Jeremy was asking Berrigan and I, and I'm pretty sure I gave Jeremy the sev- same answer, and he goes, uh, you're a moron, and he walks on. <laughs> and then at the end, when the woman who curates the museum gave him the same answer, I was vindicated. And I took a victory lap around the theater. <laughs> <laughs> and well, Berrigan was like, oh, that's, he's never going to hear the end of this one. <laughs> but, you know, you sort of talk about the bench in sort of this passing, you know, it's, it's the bench, right? It is the bench. It's, the, it's the, uh, the Griffith Park bench that Walt sat on, the eating peanuts, watching his daughters in the carousel. So the bench and its place there has some significance. But I think for all of us, we, we almost remember that gallery most because of what came after, Right. The entire museum, I talked about in terms of these boxes, you turn the corner after that picture window of the Golden Gate Bridge and everything opens up, right? All those boxes sort of opens up and there's this cavernous space with exhibits suspended from all different angles and different sides of the room. And there's this ramp that sort of snakes down through the entire space uh, to which... You know, I sort of call it the, the big reveal of the theme park room, right? It's the so model. We, It'll always be known as what, the model, right? The, the, right. What you're, what you're referring to is the room that when they said, oh, by the way, we're allowing you to take pictures now, Jeremy and I made a beeline as fast as we could <laughs> to that room. Because <laughs> it is so impressive. It's incredible. And it's full of all kinds of little pieces and details that it, it, that was the first room that I was immediately drawn to. Right. And I think we stayed there for about a half hour before anybody else actually showed up. Yeah. Well, because you could. I mean, that I, I think for us, especially, too, who are theme park people, um, this really is – this is sort of – it hits right in our wheelhouse, right? Because the first thing you see is Walt's Lilybell train, right, that was, that was part of his Carroll Pacific Railroad, to the concept art and the scale models and original artifacts from Disneyland. And you get down to that – model of Disneyland, so that Disneyland that never was, right? All sort of the things you remember from Disneyland that's so incredibly detailed and animated and kinetic. I mean, we could have spent, and we did spend more than a half hour just sort of looking over that model alone. I mean, that room is very breathtaking as you walk through, especially because it's so different from every other space. And that's what they, what they, they warned you. Don't take too much time in these first couple of rooms because you, the best is yet to come. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's 20,000 leagues under the sea. It's bad. They're like, trust me, just, just wait for it. It's coming. Well, I have to say too, like knowing Tony had never been in the museum too. Like I went back a couple of times when Tony was lagging behind the rest of the group because he was reading everything like I did the first few times I was there. And I wanted to be with him as he walked around that corner for the first time too for that grand reveal. And it's just pretty cool the first time you see it. You walk in, it's just this grand room with this circular walkway down. It's a, it's a pretty uh, amazing sight. 
And to put it sort of in, in in scale for you, this this model of Disneyland is not like some of the small models you might see at Walt Disney One Man's Dream. It's I think it's I think they said it's fourteen or fifteen foot in diameter, and it's sort of that. It's the perfect Disneyland, right? It's sort of Disneyland past and present. It's the 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 iconic attractions and things that maybe aren't there anymore that you may remember. Well, but, as it, the docent that explained it to us, it was the Walt Disney. It was Disneyland that had everything that Walt Disney touched. Stuff he may not have seen, but stuff he touched. Everything in that model was stuff he actually had his fingerprints on or actually saw. But some of the things like the Haunted Mansion and later stuff that he didn't see, anything that had his fingerprints on it is what they put in that model. Right. So it's like Walt Disney's final perfect Disneyland. Yeah, that room, when you walk into it, you almost can't believe it's in that, like we were talking about, the looking at the building at the beginning. It's... uh I think before you, uh, before we, this is posted, you should put a spoiler alert because <laughs> I almost, I almost would prefer not to tell people about it because I didn't know anything of it and walking into it, it's something. It's a, it's a very visceral kind of wow moment for you. Yeah, and it's very innocuous too. Like when you turn the corner there, because you have the bench, and right there, I think it's uh, Tony. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you have one of Zorro's saddles or something. Yeah. Right. Something like very innocuous, and you turn the corner into this ramp, and it's like, wow. Yeah, it's it's something. It's breathtaking, honestly. It's the Ranchos Vistadores silver mounted saddle. Just thank you, Lou. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right at the top of his head, he remembered that. <laughs> you didn't know that, Tony? Come on, I, I knew that. Everybody, everybody knows knew that. that. <laughs> well, I think it's great because that saddle you read and you you see the backstories on all these things. Yeah. That was actually a saddle yeah. that Walt had won. And he's like, oh, let's make it Zorro saddle because what the hell am I going to do with it? You know, that was kind of the backstory on it. It was and it's a beautiful piece. And it's so cool when you think about, you know, these are the things, you know, growing up as a kid, you're watching and listening to and following. So, you know, it's incredible. And, and Jeremy, I know, you know, that, that I know how much time you spent in that room and I know that you are a, a big theme park ephemera kind of guy. So sort of give me your thoughts on that room because you I think I went through it and then I came back up and I went through it again and we sort of I sort of slowed down with some of you guys talking a little bit about it that room when you when you turn around that corner you step in to be honest your eyes don't know where to latch on to because there is just such a large area and there's just so many incredible items because as you step in to the left you have the lily bell you have Walt's train that helped inspire him for Disneyland he wanted something bigger at some point and so he created a park as you're going down, you're seeing the opening tickets uh, for Disneyland, for the for the press events and everything else. When you make it and you're looking down, though, if you look at the floor down below, it has the layout of Epcot mm. from his concept. That is the floor design down below. There are so many pieces that just grab your attention. I have spent hours in that room. And even on this trip, I talked to three different volunteers there and asked them to show me something else on the model that I may not have found. And there was one or two items that they did point out that I did not know about. Yeah, and, and to that point, uh, the, the the people who work at the museum are, are very, very knowledgeable, very, very helpful, and they really help to uh, help your personal experience because if you do have questions, they're, they're able to answer it for you, right? They're able to help tell and sort of connect the dots and tell a story uh, about all that as well, too. And... You know, this room, you know, we keep talking about it being so different 
so sort of cavernous in size. And again, it, it sort of follows chronology because you're going from Disneyland to his visions of of Epcot, right? You, you know, going to Carousel, going to uh, the World's Fair and Carousel Progress and, and sort of his vision for Epcot. And you sort of almost, you kind of forget about where you're going, right? You sort of, you forget about where you are time-wise, right? You're so excited about everything that you're seeing here and, and how amazing this is. And you're thinking about Epcot and let's quickly talk technology again. You have some of the, uh, the, the cameras that are used. Dick Van Dyke sort of appears as a hologram helping to explain it. So now it's not just plaques that you're reading in front, but it's touchscreens. It's, it's Dick Van Dyke and it's singing and dancing. But as you start to sort of walk past this room, until you get to the next room, you almost sort of forget. You're so on this sort of high about uh, what you've seen and, and what you are seeing that as you reach the, the second to the last and then the, the final room, um, your experience very much changes. And this is what everybody sort of warned me about, right? They said, there's things that are going to blow you away. It's awesome. The nostalgic in you and, and the collector in you is going to freak out and you're going to see this huge room and then get ready for the, you know, for the end, get ready for it, right? Because those, those last two rooms are, you know, not just about the things that he was creating and things he was working on, but it starts to get to remembering Walt Disney, and sort of, so tell me about that transition for you guys. Uh, Becky, go first. Sort of that, that going from, you know, the big screen and beyond, we're in the 60s, everything's great, thinking about Epcot Center, yeah. to moving into what you sort of you sort of need to emotionally prepare for. And I'm not, I know that sounds like yeah. I'm being overly no. dramatic, but... You're so right, because going from that room, I had no idea to prepare for it. And it, it's a good thing to know, honestly, because if you don't have tissues in your pocket, you might be caught a little off guard. You're, you're going from the experience of Walt in his life, but you're then moving to his death and how the world viewed his passing and everything that led up to his passing. And it, it's a, a very emotional transition because after you've walked out of the model room and you've gone past the Olympic torch and you've learned about everything that he was doing there and the other projects that he had going and what the world would be looking forward to him creating and, and seeing through and you're walking past the the um, Mary Poppins display and of course we saw uh, the whole thing where they were going in for the um, for the premiere and you go down a hallway and then all of a sudden the colors change and it goes from this bright colors and light palette and beautiful thing to just gray. And then you read pictures and stories about all of a sudden he wasn't feeling so well. When you work, work past that room, you go into another area where there's a small television. And it has a news report that Walt Disney had died. And when you walk into that room, it's so emotionally draining the first time I was in there, I felt like I couldn't move. In a way, I felt like I couldn't breathe. And on the opposite wall are cartoons and drawings from various people around the globe and um, telegraphs that were uh, showing their, their sympathy for, um, for the loss. And it's, again, the only thing I can really say, it's very, very, very emotionally draining when you're standing there and, and absorbing all of that, that that occurred and and how the emotions of the world poured out when they had this 
extremely large loss. I, I just want to jump in real quick because the one thing I noticed about, the, I mean, obviously, uh, you, you, everything becomes muted, right? As soon when you get into this room, and it becomes very somber. Like even right. the people who are who are just being like, "Oh my God, that model is awesome!" All of a sudden, like their entire tone changes, right? Because you feel like you are there the day that Walt Disney died, right? Yeah. You were you were surrounded by all the things that were taking place from the, the things on the wall to the to the news reports to the quotes from people that are uh, you, you're right. They're very emotional because you feel as though you're there on that day. And and the way they bring you into it, Lou, too. Also, it's like all these stories like he's not feeling well. Oh, he, he took his family to Palm Springs because the, the air is better for him and such. And all of a sudden they take you into that room and it's the only way to describe it really is like a kick in the head. It's a very simple room with the pictures and the Western Union telegrams on the wall and the small TV and the, the radio report and a few obituaries. And it's like, bam, there you are. That's like the end right there. And it, it's a very emotional. And you see who's on those Western Union telegrams. It's like Louis Mayer, uh, Werner von Braun, Jack Warner, like all these, the governor, the president, all these people. It's really hits you when you sit there and just read all that stuff. It really tells the impact. Yeah. Yeah. I was in, I was just before the model room when I looked up, I looked at my watch and I realized it's two minutes to one and we had a presentation to go to. And I, I think I told you guys as I came out, everybody's like, well, what did you think of the room after model room? And I said, I didn't, I looked at my feet. I put my hands up on the sides of my face like blinkers and I walked through it. It's not even a joke. I mean, I was I wanted so much to just walk in and not I didn't want to breeze through it and have any idea what was going to happen. And I did that. I walked through and I went back through after our presentation and um, grabbing a quick lunch. And right before you go in, it was there are great photos of family vacations. And there's the um, award for being the showman of the world. And it's just a large glass kind of framed award. And I sat there and I listened because you could, I could clearly see the next room what's coming. And I knew this was kind of the end of uh, the Walt's life presentation. And I listened to the speech he gave. And it's a, a beautiful speech, but it's, it's probably a 12-minute long. You know, you put the headset on, you stand there for 10 minutes, 12 minutes. And then... I walk into the room and it's very, like I said, it's very emotional. It's very somber. But that room, I spent a huge amount of time in because I just felt like I needed to hear what everyone said. I needed to have a lot of these interactive um, kind of, a, it's like a, a phone, telephone, and you put it up to your ear and you listen to people talk. And there's 30 buttons. And I listened to every single one of them. And it was, I just felt like, I owed it like I owed it to, you know, this lifelong love of everything this man did that to spend time in there. And I should be sad in there. You know, I was it all happened before I was born. Um, you know, I didn't experience it firsthand, but they really after being in a museum, I really got a feel for it. And uh, yeah, it's it was, you know, not to sound dark, but it was an important part of uh, the whole experience for me. And you knew that it was going to have to come at some point in the in the in the galleries. And it's one thing that you kind of have in the back. At least I had the back of my head going, there is going to be this subject that is a very sad one that's going to come up at some point. And as you come up to it, that you're you're right. The coloring, the mood of the mood that people have is more reverent, more somber. And you you hold it, and you're like, you get to experience in a way what happened on that day when he passed away. 
And then as you go into the last room with the screens and the shows and everything else going on and the messages from people about Walt, it's a very touching way of just how much he meant to everybody that was around him. Yeah. And that last room with the that screens really is, is it was incredible because the museum just doesn't end on a low note. I mean, you right. go in there and it, it, this absolutely is, it's not, you can't be sad that he's gone. You have to like, just be thrilled and consider us all blessed that he was even here, that it, he, that the man even happened. Do you know what I mean? And that last room really did it. I sat there, there's screens on both walls and I sat, I don't know. I, I mean, I keep saying it, but you guys kept coming back looking at me. I was, I was in there a long time and I just watched, I made sure I saw every single photo that was on the right wall. Then I turned around on the bench and I looked at the left wall and I made sure that I read every quote and you know, it takes a while. There's a, so much there. Mm-hmm. That I hope people don't just breeze through that last room because that really wraps it all up for you. It brings well, it back and tells you, listen, this was an exceptional person who the likes of which will doubtfully ever walk the earth again. And uh, yeah, and it really made right. you realize you leave just you leave invigorated. It's it's awesome. That final room that you're talking about when you walk into it after you've gone through the room that's that's gray and you've got the the TV this is that last one you're talking about yep. in that room the colors are still somewhat muted but it's also brought up the lighting's brought up the mood is brought up in that room and I, I think it's a really fitting tribute because like you said both sides of the wall are displaying different things in different aspects of of his career and his life and it has everything from family photos to pictures of his parents to um his childhood and on the other side you also pick up uh some of the drawings and some of the movie stuff and other things that happen and if you sit in the bench in the middle and just take that all in it's it's kind of a celebration of everything he was and it's a great way to to end your experience and i think that's one of the best parts of it too the last room is so simple. It's just two video screens, two large walls, and just a bench. And you can just sit there and reflect. I think that's what's so nice about that last room. Yeah, I, I sort of felt that when I was in the, the second to last room, it's that sense of, look, if you were alive during a lot of these times, right, when Kennedy was shot, when Walt Disney died, when, when all these important deaths happened, everybody says, well, you remember where you were when this happened. It sort of gave you the sense that, you felt as though you were there, right? And then, like you guys said, that next room I felt was very, very different because even though it was very sort of stark in color, it was meant to be celebratory. And I sort of, and when I walked away, I was like, this is the reflection room. Like, you're not reflecting just on what you saw in terms of things in the museum, but you are reflecting on Walt Disney and his impact and his lifetime and his legacy that has sort of carried on because those those quotes are there from there from other people who have carried on Walt's legacy or who, who whose life he his life has very much impacted right so it very much was meant to reflect like you said Becky in, in a celebratory kind of way not in a sad kind of way all right so I, I want to also just mention a couple of things that you, you're going to find at the museum obviously there's uh there's there's you don't exit into a gift shop but believe it or not there is a gift shop right there and it is it is uh it, it's not like your typical theme park gift shop it is very much about Walt and the things that you saw in the museum. There's a little cafe there as well, too, which was nice. You can get breakfast or lunch there. So you don't have to worry about leaving the museum at all. 
uh, if you want to get a snack or something to eat. And there's places you can sit outside. I mean, it, you could really, and this is the thing too, I understand now what people meant when they said, you can go there and spend two hours there, or you can go there and spend six hours and need to come back again. Because you can go through and get a very sort of cursory look at the museum, or you can go and try and read and see and touch and do and watch and listen and learn everything along the way and come back for special presentations and workshops and hands-on exhibits and, and film screenings that they have throughout at the museum all the time. It is one of those things that you can come for a little while or you can come back over and over again. Does that make any sense? Or Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, as I was going through, taking my time really doing a lot of these interactive things, I, I purposefully would walk up to one. And I said to myself, I live in New York. I've been to San Francisco for three days of my life for this trip. That was it. And I'm saying to myself, I'm going to save this for next time. I mean, I know I'm going to be back. I'm, I'm going to skip this on purpose. So there's something to look forward to something. I have no idea what it is. And I did that in every room. I left one or two things for next time because I, 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 goodness knows how long I would have been in there if I if, if you said this is the last time you're here, I would have stayed there till they kicked me out of the museum. There's well, that much. It, you were practic- You were just on the cusp of that as we were. Yeah, I know. So. <laughs> well, like like Becky and uh, Jeremy both too. I've been there several times too, and every time there's something new for me. I mean, they change out displays regularly and stuff, but every time it seems like it's a whole new experience to me. So I would recommend multiple visits, definitely. Yeah, this is definitely this is definitely a trip I plan on doing again. Uh, this was sort of a, a test of this idea, and it's something I'd like to do possibly even every year, right? We do another on-the-road trip back to the family museum, and we make a weekend out of it. And, and that's what we did to a certain degree, but even more so structured going forward, where we come in on a Friday, we leave on a Sunday. You know, we, a group of us, you know, went out to eat on Friday night. We went to the, the Boudin Bakery, met, you know, I think it was maybe 15, 20 of us who went to dinner. We went out to dinner again and for dessert and then dinner again on Saturday, <laughs> on Saturday night. You know, we got together on Sunday, went down to the wharf and walked around there as well too because there, there's a lot to do in San Francisco. And I think the reason why I enjoyed it so much was not because of you guys specifically, but it's it's something that you can definitely enjoy with other people, right? Sourdough bread. And sourdough bread. Yeah, right. That, <laughs> I like sourdough bread. I love the museum. But it's but like the sourdough bread, even though you don't share because you're selfish, like the sourdough bread, the museum is best enjoyed when it's shared with friends and shared with other Disney fans because you really, you can talk about things and you can sort of... Uh, it's nice to sort of go through the exhibits and, and have somebody to sort of bounce stuff off of as you're going through, other than Tony, who was by himself the whole time. And it's also important to, to note, too, that the museum isn't just all about the Walt Disney family. They also have special exhibitions that go on quite often, too, like the uh, Maurice Sendak is coming up, I believe, if, if it's not already there. And they have a, a bunch of stop-motion animation uh, exhibits that, that they're pulling in. And when we, we were there, they had a special exhibit going on for um, Snow White. So... It just depends on, you know, what's there. You can see other things and experience other things from art and, and creativity and uh, other things that um, that tie into the studio and into uh, art in general. You know, and one thing, too, about the museum that I had thought of beforehand and as I was walking through, I tried to keep in mind for those people who are listening who are considering taking a trip out there, which is children, 
right? Because you, you think about a, a natural history museum or a science museum, whatever it is, and taking children. Now, Tony, uh, Tony and I both have children. Becky, we know you don't like children, but the idea of taking wow. children to, <laughs> to the museum. This is beat up Becky hour, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, just wait. I You'll thought about it in terms of taking my kids who are uh, seven and nine years old. Tony, I know your kids are, are a little bit younger. I think this museum is definitely geared towards older guests, right? Especially if you are between the ages of probably 40 and 65 or 70 and and uh, were alive during Walt's time, or sort of grew up uh, around a lot of this, uh, it'll definitely resonate with you a lot more. That being said, I think there are a lot of high-tech touches throughout, including things that are specifically geared for young kids, right? Not just the touchscreen monitors, but some of the interactive things. We talked about the music and stuff before, so it definitely was, you know, the museum creators sort of acknowledge the fact that kids are going to come. They may not, their attention may not be held the way ours would be, right? You know, you go to Gallery 9, you show them the Disneyland model, they'll stare at that for a long time. They may not care as much about Walt's chili menu as we do, if that makes any sense. So I don't know, if I went back again, I don't know if I would take my kids at this age, but maybe as my daughter, you know, became 10 or 11, as my son got older, I would start to take them as I knew that they would be able to understand and appreciate it even more. Yeah, there definitely. I felt the same that, way. Yeah, I was going to say, there, there will be things that kids will find enjoyable in there. But like you said, it is geared more towards um, older people or people older than teenage years or whatever to gain more knowledge. But there are there are exhibits that kids will enjoy, always enjoy, like the model, but also up top, you were talking about the gallery with uh, Steamboat's Willie. They have that interactive... Uh, instruments that people are playing around with and when i played with them i felt like a kid but i felt like an idiot because i couldn't sync it up to, to the, to the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, jeremy let, let's start with you then i, I want to know what did you guys what do you take away from the museum right like i don't mean in terms of maybe what you learned but as you left what was the thing that you sort of took away in terms of your impression or maybe even something you learned or, or something that sort of stuck with you when you left uh, Jeremy and then Michael and then Tony and, and Becky sort of share your thoughts in, in terms of that going to the museum brings for me it brings Walt around as a as a person rather than just as an icon of a company we see aspects of his life good and bad uh, Diane did not hide hold that back at all as you pointed out earlier we get to see just different aspects of his life from how he was with his family to how he was with the company, with employees, what his dreams were, what what worked out, what didn't. And we got a glimpse of who he really was, which is what Diane wanted. Michael, what about for you? Jeremy stole my thunder a bit. Too, but it, it, it's basically what to a degree what Jeremy said too. It's basically you, you get to learn more about him from the family side of it, more from than from the corporate side. If it was a you know a museum done by the company, it's very family oriented. It's very emotional, and it's something that I want to revisit every time I go back to San Francisco. Tony, what about you? Yeah, I think that um, the guys both summed it up because I think we're all huge fans of Disney and what they do, but maybe even more so of the man. And that's really what you walk away from here. Uh, if I say it this way, it sounds funny, but you think Tony Caggiano world. It sounds like a joke. Go ahead and laugh. No, it's a wow. Now listen, think about it for one second. It sounds absurd. You laugh. We all laugh. But when you say Walt Disney World, you think about a place. 
It was a man. It was this Diane's dad. You know, I say it to my kids and I've told them that before. If you think about that, that was her dad's name. This place is named after somebody's dad. And it just put it into perspective for me. If you say it, Lou Mangello world, Becky Mankin world, it sounds funny. It was absolutely the name of a single man, a person born. He was a kid and everything just like we did. Had family, had a wife, had troubles, was sick. It was a guy. Uh, I'm going to tell you, really- uh, you said Tony Caggiano world and I thought of a place and it, it scared me. It, it really <laughs> it frightened me to the point of near tears. So, yeah, but if you put it, but it really puts it into perspective when you throw your name or somebody else's name in there. Because up until that point, you hear Walt Disney World and you just think of a place. You're not thinking that this is named for a single person. You know, the company is Disney and it's become a whole nother thing. It's way past what, you know, a person, a single person. And for me, that's what it did. And I I, I haven't spoken to Miss Disney Miller, but that's kind of the vibe I got. And that's from what I've read and heard. That's what she wanted to portray. And I think she nailed it. I think they really... You know, there was a lot of commentary from her, a lot of family photos, really great stuff of, you know, just a, of Walt Disney, just a guy being a guy, family and great pictures of Diane saying how she left on a vacation. And, oh, we dropped the kids off with mom and dad. And, you know, that's that's something right there. I dropped my kids off my with their grandparents and my parents. And you kind of overlook that, that this was that's what was going on there. So I could only I. I, I would build on. I was gonna say I can I only would, imagine the attractions at Becky Mankin World, but go ahead. Wow. <laughs> well, go Marvel ahead. would be solved. <laughs> um, let's see. I would say honestly, an appreciation, like everybody said, an appreciation for the man, the man, not the corporate logo, not Walt Disney World, not Walt Disney Company, but the man who created this from bottom up with, of course, a lot of wonderful, talented people who helped him along the way. But appreciation for the man and his ups and downs, what he had to go through, his his failures as well as his triumphs and, and the inspiration that one man can have this type of success, one man, one woman, and create a business from a passion, from something that you love that can influence generations. And Disney is going to be a, a name that is going to be respected and appreciated well after we're all gone and after our kids' kids' kids are, are you know, up and, and going to theme parks and whatever they're going to look like in the future. But to just have an appreciation that it all started with one man who literally had a dream and a passion and a love and his family was just as important to him. And to know that the board consists of Diane Disney Miller and like Tony said, that she's representing her family and putting her family out there for everyone to see and to understand and to appreciate. Um, I have a, a very deep um, appreciation, that's the only word I'm going to keep saying, for them taking this step so that we could have this opportunity to learn more about the man. And the, the one thing, too, I take away from it, too, is looking at it, I don't see anything like this kind of industry or company or situation like this ever happening in the current world. J- just the sheer force of who he was and what he was able to bring about, I, I, I don't see that happening today, just the way the corporate climate and everything has changed. 
you know, for, through the years, through the years that the, the company has has done their yeah. best to try to keep his ideals and, and his vision yeah. alive, which you don't see that too often in cor- corporate culture. It's hard to see one person doing something this massive and turning into this these days. Yeah. You know, for me, uh, my trip to the museum was actually very timely because um, at that time I was preparing to do a, uh, a closing keynote presentation for um, a large group of executives and, and financial guys. And it was called Leadership Lessons Learned from Walt Disney. And I had in mind what I thought it was going to be. And when I left the museum, I radically changed my presentation, right? Because I had a, a new appreciation uh, based on what I saw, right? I, I learned about his tough times. I learned about his faith, right? I learned about the importance of things like competition and team and, and continuity of purpose and, and always looking to improve and, and be unique. And the formula that Walt used for his success. But I walked away from this with what I realized out of all the quotes that, that we that we replay from Walt Disney, right? We have on our walls, we, we, we you know, put on Facebook, whatever it may be, although Tony, your quotes are usually quite different. Um, <laughs> the one that I realized was the most important one of all I gleaned from the museum and I didn't realize it until after I left, right? It's not dream it and do it and keep moving forward. That's all great. The most important quote of all is that a man should never neglect his family for business. A man should never neglect his family for business, right? We learn about his relentless determination. We learn about his challenges. We learn about technology. But what we learn is the love of Walt and his family, right? The things that I pulled from here most were watching these home movies of Walt playing with his kids as if he was one of those kids, right? Playing with Sharon and Diane like he was their age, right? We talk about Disneyland being created almost out of out of selfishness, right? Walt wanted a place that he could play with his children, right? And you and the museum itself is a work of love, right? Disney's children, Diane Disney Miller, you know, who contributed not just the, the items in there, but her quotes, her influence, her memories are there. And I asked the question of the people working at the museum and as if on cue, I said, you know, how often, you know, she, Diane created the museum and she created the foundation. How often is she here? They said, oh, she's here all the time. And, and so is Ron. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. They probably, you know, special events. And who do I see before I leave? But Ron Miller and Diane Disney Miller. There for uh, one of the presentations that's going on. They very much have their fingerprints on the museum and their hands still in the museum every day, right? So it's incredibly detailed. It's incredibly informative, incredibly moving, incredibly inspirational, right? I I left being very inspired by what I saw. I think the amount of stuff that's in there, and I use stuff in air quotes because it's not stuff, but the amount of information in here, the fact that it's only 10% speaks volumes to... Walt the person, right? How creative he was, what an innovator he was. And I think one of you, I think Tony may have said it at the beginning, I think the museum does what Walt wanted every attraction, every show, every facade, every movie, every element and everything he did to do, which is tell a story, right? The story of family, hard work, yeah, some controversy, ups and downs, it tells an incredible story 
Very, very well done. Um, I, I think this is not a one and done kind of museum. I want to go back again next year, not to bring another group, but so I can see it again as well, too. And I hope that we can do this again. And for those people who I know live in the San Francisco Bay Area and don't go to the museum because they say they're not big Disney, you don't need to be the most hardcore Walt fan to enjoy and appreciate this museum. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's a very different type of Disney experience, but one that I promise uh, you will take a lot away from and I, I think you'll learn a lot as well, too. It's not very expensive to go. Tickets are $20. There are discounts for seniors and students and kids. There's movie screenings. There's additional workshops. There's, there's different things going on all the time. If you visit WaltDisney.org, you can get more information. I'll put the link to the website in the show notes. In the show notes, I will also put the link to MouseFanTravel.com. You'll see what I did there. You like that segue? There you go here. Oh, because we love, we love Becky Mankin. More importantly, we wow. love her agents, right? Because they're great huggers <laughs> and free hugs. free hugs. Free hugs from all the agents over at Mouse Fan and Travel. I, I just want to throw out there, Lou, we have to have an excuse to go back because we got to go back and see the museum. We also have to go back and have more sourdough bread, but we also have to go back and, and see Alcatraz at night so that you can be thrown into solitary confinement <laughs> for two or three hours. There's much more we need to do. do. I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get all the kids together to put Uncle Lou in solitary well, confinement. You have yes. me in solitary confinement by putting me in the back seat of that mini mobile between Caggiano <laughs> and <laughs> there, there's a great picture of, of you, but the problem is about that picture of all three of you squished together like little sardines in the back of the car, is that it doesn't show that your feet are literally in the laps of Jeremy and me. So can we get a larger car next time? More wait, wait a second. I almost forgot something. Speaking of photos, this is really important. Hey, Speaking uh -huh. of photos, uh, up until literally like two days before we went to the museum, no photos were allowed in the museum at all. It was pro strictly prohibited, even to the point that I told everyone in the group, don't bring your cameras because you can't take pictures except if you're outside. We walk in the door and they tell us we can take photos. And we took hundreds. So I will link in the show notes to a photo gallery that I'll post on the site and over on Facebook as well, too. I guarantee it cannot convey accurately what this man, uh, what this museum uh, is like, but it'll give you a sense of just some of the things you can see in there and just how beautiful and how well done it is. So again, check the show notes over at www.radio.com. I also want to thank you, Tony, Jeremy, and Michael Berrigan. You have no website, so I'll just tell people to come back and see you when we go again next year. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. <laughs> Thanks, Lou. everyone. That was Later. Fun. Later? <laughs> I'm Becky sure. Megan, ladies and gentlemen. Later. <laughs> so, Peace later. Out. Peace out. Becky Keep it real. Later. <laughs> Becky Megan is out. <laughs> okay, wait for sourdough. Oh, sourdough bread. Sourdough toast. Sourdough oh for my breakfast. Gosh. Literally so, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We're, we're going somewhere else for breakfast cheese. next time. You're giving me a heads up. We are going to, to get the right hotel this time, and we are going to a better breakfast. It's like Damn season it. six of Lost. It's like season six of Lost. We have to go back. We have to go back. <laughs> okay, that place across from the hotel was amazingly good breakfast. Oh. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I ask you to test your knowledge 
of Walt Disney World trivia, details, history. Maybe I'll play a sound clip or quote a line from an attraction or show, ask you to identify where in Walt Disney World you may have heard that clip. Then I take all the correct entries, randomly select one to win a Disney prize package every week. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I didn't really have a trivia question for you per se, but again, I wanted to see how well you pay attention to what you hear, or in this case, what you may have heard. Because all you had to do last week was simply identify where in Walt Disney World you could hear or could have heard this clip. And again, hundreds of you not only answered correctly, but let me know in your emails just how much you love and miss this now extinct attraction theme song. Like you, Tomorrow's Child from Spaceship Earth is one of my all-time favorite Walt Disney World recordings. It was added to the attraction in May of 1986 after Spaceship Earth reopened from its first sort of major renovation. AT&T was the new sponsor. More importantly, Walter Cronkite was the new narrator and the finale music was changed to Tomorrow's Child. The Tomorrow's Child theme song lasted until August of 1994 when Spaceship Earth closed for its next major renovation. A number of new scenes were added to the finale while some of the old scenes were removed and of course Earth Station and the post-show closed and Tomorrow's Child at the finale was also removed. So again, thank you, congratulations to all of you who entered. Again, you're playing for all of my audio walking tours of Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, which if you didn't win, you can get over at www.radio.com in the shop. A WW Radio luggage tag, a button, and a few surprise items from Disney's Monstrous Summer. If you didn't win, that's okay. Thanks so much for playing, but don't worry because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So this week, I wanted to take the concept of seeing how well you listen in the parks even further. Because one of the parts of putting together the show that I enjoy most is finding and mixing all the sound clips at the top of the show. So this week, let's see if you can identify them all. All you need to do is simply list them in order for your chance to win. And to make it easy for you, here they are again. Welcome to the International Space Training Center. You're here today to train for the greatest adventure in the history of mankind, the exploration of deep space. Hey, Maestro, what's with that music? Hello, hi there. Welcome to my park. How you doing? Okay, the director's ready. Talent's ready. Cue the opening. You have until Sunday. May 12th at 11.59 p.m. to send your answers to contest at wdwradio.com. Again, you're playing for all the audio tours, a luggage tag, button, a signed copy of my Walt Disney World Trivia Book Volume 2, and a mystery ticket. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. In addition to the podcast, which you can subscribe to over on iTunes, come by the website at www.radio.com. Check out our multiple daily blog posts. Find out how you can win mystery tickets just by reading the blog. And you can be part of the WW Radio blog by sending in your self-shot photos from the Disney parks 
by emailing us at photos at www.radio.com. Also on the site, you'll find new videos. You can sign up for our free email newsletter with exclusive content, contest offers, deals, information, and more. You can download the free WDW Radio app for your iPhone, iPad, or Android device. You can chat and meet with other Disney fans in our fun, family-friendly discussion forums. You can connect with me over on Twitter. I'm at Lou Mangiello. Connect with me on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello or like our page at facebook.com slash WW Radio. You know I love hearing from you as well, so call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1 with a question, a comment, or just saying hello from the parks. If you have a question you want answered on the show, email me at lou at wdwradio.com. And as much as I love connecting with you virtually online, there's nothing that beats a handshake and a hug. And that's why we have not just our monthly meetups in Walt Disney World, but on-the-road events around the country. This summer, you can join us in July at Disney's Aulani Resort in Hawaii. Join us on the Disney Fantasy for a week-long cruise with our special guest, author Ridley Pearson, November 2nd through the 9th. I'll also be having a meetup in Toronto the first weekend in June. Our New Jersey on-the-road event, I'm going back to Jersey, June 21st through the 23rd. That event completely sold out in just a couple of days. I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys up there. I'm also going to be heading up to the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet the final weekend in June. You can visit PNW Mouse Meet for more information. And of course, if you're coming to Walt Disney World, don't forget to check our events page, not just for any of these and other events, but our monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. Our next is going to kick off Star Wars weekend. It's going to be Saturday, May 18th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Studio Catering Company at Disney's Hollywood Studios. It is the first weekend of Star Wars Weekend. Going to be a lot of fun getting a chance to meet all you guys and enjoy all of the Star Wars and Hollywood Studios events and, of course, the food as well, too. Again, visit the events page at www.radio.com. You can also check the Facebook events page by visiting facebook.com slash Radio and clicking on the events tab. Thanks again, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official recommended travel provider. Whether you're coming to Disney World, Land, Disney Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, Becky and her team of agents, you know, give you not just the best possible prices, all the available discounts, an incredible level of personal service and hugs, but all at no additional cost to you. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And if you want some Disney magic delivered right to your door or your digital tablet, visit celebrationspress.com. There you can subscribe, order back issues, and learn more. I still write for Celebrations. Love getting the magazine in the mail every other month. Again, celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links and come by and comment over on Facebook. And please come by. Rate and review the show and the app over at iTunes. Very, very helpful. Very much appreciated. And speaking of being appreciative, I cannot tell you how grateful I am to each and every one of you, to everyone who emails me and tweets me and comes out to events. And of course, that takes the time to listen to the show each and every week. I'm so thankful that you allow me to share my passion for Disney with you in so many different ways and let me do what I love each and every day. And I want that same for you. So remember that while you can't change your destination overnight, you can change your direction right now. Do what you love, make yourself happy, and always keep moving forward. Thanks so much again for listening, everybody. Have a great week. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lude. Heather Jean in Nashville. I am just calling. I love your show. My sister and I listen to it all the time. 
my parents are going to Disney World this June, and um, fingers crossed, hopefully I'll be able to go along with them. If I do go, I'm really hoping that there's going to be a meet of the month while I'm there. I would love to meet you and um, talk with you and just check it out, you know. It's, uh, I would tell a lot of people that are there all the time just to come and go every meet of the month. Hopefully it's going to happen when I'm there. And uh, thanks again for everything. Thanks for all of your encouragement. Um, it's really great to read all your positive messages every morning on Facebook. Thanks, Lou. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Cindy Alpert in Chattanooga, Tennessee, known as Cindy Mouse 6 on the boards. And just calling in to put in a couple of words about taking small children to Disney and when do you think it's a good time. Um, I actually took my kids when they were three months old because I had four months of maternity leave, so I went right before I had to go back to work. And so um, people think that that's nuts. I was also breastfeeding, but we really utilized the the baby stations, and I, that was just wonderful. For me, it was a different experience, and I'm all about having different experiences at Disney. And for me and, and my husband as well, we were able to go use all the baby stations, and the Animal Kingdoms was absolutely the best. And... Um, we it was a great break, and I don't know why, but babies just sleep. The Disney era is just very different, and so it was not stressful whatsoever. It didn't get challenging until the kids were about seven or eight months old. So as an infant, it was nice, and they sit in their strollers, and they sleep a lot, and we had a great room at the boardwalk to watch Epcot fireworks from our room. So it was it was very nice, but it was a great experience for us. So the experience wasn't for our infant, it was actually for us. But you said something I really tuned into because the kids and I were all listening to the podcast together. Um, and the fact that they've been twice a year, every year since they were born, literally, it is part of it's part of their their culture, part of their nature. And uh, my my twin girls, Katie and Grace, they took their first steps on the boardwalk, and we have pictures of it. And then we got. Um, a hand-drawn picture of the boardwalk as, as, as well, and that's we have a three-piece um, picture section on our wall. And the girls are so connected to that because they knew that that's where I took my very first steps. It's, it's like visiting your your past, your history. And so I love the fact that we've created that type of anchor in history with our kids. They love it. And it's been seven weeks since we've been on the cruise with you guys, and we're not going back till. Well, we don't think we're going back until December, but we're all having Disney withdrawals right now, and it's so funny. But I loved every stage of the kids going to Disney. Um, it didn't matter what age, two, three, four years old. Even though they don't remember it, I remember it, and it was an experience for my husband and I. And so I people ask me all the time, what's a good age? They want to wait and wait and wait. And I'm like, no, but you're cheating yourself out. You're cheating yourself out of the ability to see your child see Mickey for the first time, and they don't get scared of Mickey when they go back year after year. So anyway, I thought I would just chime in and um, hope you guys have a great summer and great trip to Alani. Wish we could go, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye. You've got a friend.